man, thank y'all so much. Um, I tell you, um, to pull in this morning around 8.30 and to see uh, the, the faithfulness of folks to be here is, um, is absolutely incredible. I don't take it lightly, and I know I'm just a I'm just a finite human, but I can't imagine what God feels about faithfulness. Um, so, to God be the glory for your faithfulness this morning. And, and folks that are here uh, right now, I know, uh, I, I did, I'm not saying I read the book, but it's not a fit day for man nor beast. Can I get a witness? Yeah, it's kind of rough. Um, as you find your place in John chapter 8, I, um, I was pondering yesterday if this would have been a uh, normal year we would have all been on the phone, preachers would have been, going, should we cancel? Should we have church? Because they were threatening with ice and different things like that, and the temperatures watching them. And so we would probably have not went to bed until about 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning trying to figure out what in the world we were going to do. And that's just the life of church leadership when the weather would hit. And God put a peace across my heart yesterday. I said, dear Lord, we've made it through so far through the worst pandemic that mankind has ever seen in our lifetime. Bless God, we can come to church this morning. Can I get a witness? So uh, a little bit of rain and we, uh, we're here. A little bit of cold weather. So I'm just glad uh, to, um, to be with you today. Uh, if you're visiting with us, whether online, we're actually um, trying to make a little adaptation uh, there's some folks bailing on Facebook, so we're actually in the process of trying to live stream YouTube at 9.30, Facebook at <clears throat> 11 o'clock, so that we can uh, help folks out. They were, uh, you know, I, I just want to give God the glory for that, too. Uh, we had gotten some messages. It's like, well, we're leaving Facebook, but we don't want to leave Facebook if we leave you, so how, what do we do? And so we're just trying to uh, adapt. And if nothing else, we've learned over the last... Uh, probably 10 months, is adapt, adaptation. Can I get a witness on that? So we, we, we're adapting. Um, this morning in John chapter 8, I'm going to read uh, verses 30 through 36 once again. And God's not letting us leave uh, this place. And, but you know, I am a person who believes in taking the text and letting the text speak and walking through uh, places in the Bible and giving them time and letting God uh, work through that. But when you start talking about truth and about freedom, you can land almost anywhere in the Scriptures. And, and we do uh, try to uh, let Scripture back up Scripture. So, but, but for whatever reason, God has laid this particular section of Scripture on my heart of John chapter 8. John 8, verses 30 through 36, it reads like this. As He spoke these words, many believed in Him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? And Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a Son abides forever. Therefore, if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Fathers, we get ready to allow you the privilege in our lives. And I say allow, we welcome you to teach us. May you take your, your word and may the power of the Spirit of the living God open it up to us. Make it real to us. Apply it to our hearts and our lives. I believe with under the sound of my voice, Father, whether online or in this room, there are many that do want to be closer to you. And Lord, I, I know it's not much. I know Christ went to the cross and bore so many agonies on His way to the cross and there on the cross. But I have to say, Lord, that I've been watching us as people long enough now to know, God, that not to take away from anybody that's not here, God, but the folks that are here during the pandemic 
and during an absolute miserable day outside, would you not just honor me and my desire to get closer to you, but would you honor the desire of every person in this room and every person online, the desire of their heart to be closer to you? God, would you do it for your glory in Christ's name? Amen. Today, I want to take and just enter into a particular thought that may take us another week or two to finish up. We've been talking a lot about freedom, naturally, because this text, it, it speaks of freedom, that we would be free. There's some things that we had learned prior to this time, and that is the fact that we live in a world that is governed by a sovereign God. As the old folks have said before, He's a God who sits high, but He looks low. He is not only ruling over this world from His throne, but He interacts with this world. You know, we don't serve a, a deistic God to where uh, He just spun everything into motion and He backed away and said, good luck, have at it. We serve a God who interacts with, interacts with us and has interacted with His people ever since. He was walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. He was with the children of Israel when they were coming out of Egypt, pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. Uh, he was with Daniel in the lion's den. He came born of the Virgin Mary, uh, God with us, Emmanuel. We celebrated it just a few months ago. And then he didn't leave us as orphans. He sent the Paracletos, the Holy Spirit. He, he dwells in us. He said, I'll not leave you as orphans, but I will send the Comforter. And so we have a God that interacts with us, but never at any point in time is He not over this stuff that's going on. He was over 2020, and He'll be over 2021 also. And so that's the God that we have. And then we find that the Bible speaks truly about His Son. And just a few weeks ago, we learned that when you talk about Christ, you're talking about the truth, you're talking about His Word. They're synonymous. They don't, you can't separate them. And then when you take in the idea that, that He is truth, He is the mark, then He has no agenda. In other words, we as men, we try to figure things out and want to do things our way, and we have, at best of our abilities, we may have only a small agenda, but we always have some type of agenda. I would love to say that every time that I talk to my wife or to my kids or to my friends or even to the church, that in my flesh I have no agenda. But the truth is, it is a battle every single day to not to have Greg's agenda and to only have God's agenda. That is the crucifixion of our lives every single day, is to die to ourselves, live to Him. But God has no agenda. Why? Because He is the plumb line. He is the benchmark. He is what everything comes off of. Everything else is brought to measure up to Him. And, and we use this phrase over the last two weeks, that you don't take the cornerstone, which is Christ, you don't take it and move it and put it into the building. You bring the building and build it on the cornerstone. And so it, we live in a world, though, where everybody wants to maybe just take a little bit of Christianity or take a little bit of uh, Bible or take a little bit of something and pull it into their lives. But that's not what God does. As a matter of fact, He's anchored. He's grounded. He's not moving. And so when we build our lives if we're going to build them on solid foundation, we must bring our lives to Him. And then upon that rock, and I believe that He is not just the cornerstone that starts the building, I think He's the capstone, He's the last, He's the first and last, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And so we've looked at that, and we looked at that is the only truth we can build our lives upon. And then last week we learned a little bit about us, and then I'm, we're going to kind of bring it around a little more. We learned about putting lipstick on a pig last week. That if we start putting our confidence in cosmetics and clothing and the things on the outside, we'll start to develop an identity crisis. We'll start believing that it's true. One of the greatest things I've ever had told, told to me as a pastor is don't believe the press that you hear about yourself. 
And it's true. We hear a lot of people sing songs about, don't listen to the negative things that people say about you. But I've learned that I can deal with those a little better in my own personal life than I can the positive press. You know, most of the time when people say nice things about you, they have an ulterior motive. They have an agenda. <laughs> but one of the most humbling times I've had in my life and something that's constantly on the back of my mind and I have to keep there is as much as I want to believe the grandson of Sadie Neely is a good young man, there's nothing good in him but Jesus. Nothing. That is in my flesh. Paul said it. That in my flesh, nothing good dwells. And the day that we forget that, and the day that we start thinking that, the, the, that what we are seeing is reality, then we're going to miss it. Because God sees beyond the makeup. God sees the pig in here. God knows me, and he knows you too. He knows every detail of your life. He knows more about you than you know about you, and some of us need to talk to him a little bit. Ask him. Take his word and ask him, God, what's the truth about me? And if you're a Christian, the most glorious thing that you're going to find out is the greatest truth about you is that Christ loved you and died for you. And he did not die for you to leave you like you are. And so we also learn that a pig will be a pig until the day that it dies, and then that's our goal is to die. So here's what I want to do is I want to take this time and just not necessarily change our thought, but just I think just sink into a thought a little further. Because when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders at that time, He's talking to these Jews, and they come back at him when he, he throws an identity on them, and he, they come back at him, and it seems that there is a, uh, uh, I don't want to say a misunderstanding, but there is a, uh, something that I believe we need to grab a hold of ourselves. And the way to start this, I believe, is to ask this question, is he enough? L listen to what he says here. Verse 36, therefore the Son, uh, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now there are many people that walk around and they claim Christ, but they're not free. And there are many Christians that are walking around, and you would say, well, I think they're partially free. But they seem to be still kind of in bondage. But the Scripture says, if the Son shall make you free, you will be free Indeed. Now, every bit of the burden seems to be laid upon the Son. And we know this capital S-O-N. So it is Christ that we're talking about. Is He enough? So I want to establish some, some values this week. I just want to, uh, they may not, may not sound exactly like values, but I want to establish some values. I'm looking forward to Easter. I don't know about you, but God is stirring in my heart. Last Easter, for some reason, I believe it was a little bit depressing for a lot of folks. Um, many of us didn't meet in person, and we second-guessed whether we should or whether we shouldn't have or, and all those things. But this Easter, uh, God's already starting to put a, um, a little bit of a burden on, of a message on my heart to, to begin to work on. And so leading up to Easter and then finalizing at Easter, we're going to, I believe God's going to take us through a short little series called The Burden of Proof. See, in this text, we need to find out exactly what Christ is freeing us from. What, what is the, 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 the cost of this? And then, is He capable of paying the price to free us? Here's the first thing I want you to think about. Is the self-government of man great enough to stand alone? Is the self-government 
of man great enough to stand alone. You see, Jesus branded the Jews that day with a mark of bondage. Listen to what he says to them. After he says that if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, you, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, listen, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Now, have, I don't know if y'all have ever heard the saying. I, I used to hear it a lot from preachers, and I'd go, Lord, I'm sick of hearing this saying. But I've come to find out it's a pretty true statement. If you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one it hits will holler. You ever heard that before? Well, I'm not advocating that you go take a rock and throw it into a group of dogs. But it seems to me that Jesus took and he threw an allegation into the midst of a bunch of people. And they hollered. You, you know, I've told you before, I, I've run into folks that get mad when you ask them about their salvation. If you just simply say, hey, are you saved? Especially in the church. Uh, not so much outside of the church, but in the church house. If you ask somebody that they're saved, there are people that will respond to you, and they're not happy about it. How dare you question my salvation? But for me, it's just an opportunity to witness. You say, hey, Pastor Greg, are you saved, man? You better believe it. Let me take you back. August 1999. I won't go through the whole story. But I, t I want to take you back. Let me tell you what God has done for me. Listen to what Jesus tells them. I want you to listen to the words again, and then I want you to watch what happens when they respond. Let's go back to 30. He spoke these words, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So he sets a standard there, does he not? If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, another standard, and the truth will set you free. You abide in my word, you're going to know the truth, and the truth will make you free. But he never pointed at them specifically. Not outright, did he? But what did they say? How dare you? We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anybody. You know, I mean, if you could put a mark on them at that moment, I believe it would be the brand that I am lost. Jesus branded them. Whoever commits sin makes sin. You prefer a way of wickedness instead of righteousness. And, and so in this text, listen to what he says, or what they say. We are Abraham's descendants, have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? And Jesus answered, answered them, most surely I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. He just takes the poker and he drives it even further. Whoever makes provisions for the flesh is a sinner. Now, I know that Christians commit sin. I get that. But we're talking about a lifestyle issue. We're talking about habitual, volitional sin. I know it's wrong. I'm going to do it anyhow. God has shown me to my heart, and I have an opportunity to make a decision at this moment whether to go further or to not. And we march right on. That's why they've told you in church a long time, no, that if you can do it and get away with it, then something's missing. And Jesus is driving this dagger into the hearts of the Jewish people, but don't miss something. This bondage seems to be directed at them because you see how they respond? We're Abraham's descendants. You see, but the Bible teaches us that this is not just a territorial issue. This is not just a, a, a national issue or an ethical issue or an ethnical issue or a social issue. It's a global issue. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? So he's not just talking to them, but they're taking it kind of personal. But, but I believe it's because 
That's just how ingrained they were into the system that they trusted. Let's look at a couple of verses of Scripture. So, so in James chapter 1, in James 1 verses 14 and 15, it says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. You see the process that goes on there? Psalm 1 speaks this. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In it he meditates day and night. He should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, brings forth fruit in his season. His leaves shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chafe which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And I believe that there's no other time in our lifetimes that God is going to be dividing out the wheat and the tare like He's doing right now. I believe that He is separating things. He has shaken us, not to the core, obviously, but He has shaken us. You think differently today than you have ever thought in your lifetime. I would say you, you do. I, I can't proclaim that you do. But I think, let me make a generalized statement. I think that overall, more people think differently today than they have ever thought because of the last year that they've been through. And if anybody should be thinking differently, it should be Christians. It should be us that know. Listen to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, the Bible in verse 11 through 18 says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus as Lord, our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that through you, though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed the heart that from the doctrine to, that from form of doctrine that which you were delivered. Now think about what he's saying there. He's saying in that text that you're going to be a slave to somebody. Jesus stabs these Jews in the heart and said, "Y'all are slaves." Nobody wants to hear that, do we? I mean, even when you get married, guys, what do they tell you before you get married? They fixing to shackle you down, ain't they? We're going to put a ball and chain on you, and she got, she's got you weighed down. You ain't going to get nowhere. You, you, she, I think the point is that she's always going to be within reach. She's always, you can't run no more. You, you, you just, she can run you down. But is that not what they tell us? What do we think about that, guys? Not me. Not me, bless God. Ain't nobody controlling me. I'll never forget hearing this comedian, Christian comedian. I'm just letting y'all know. I wasn't listening to some crazy stuff. But this Christian comedian, he said he was down in Florida, and he was walking around. And he said there was this woman walking. She was all bucked up and proud and just walking down the street. Said about eight feet behind her, there was this dude that was about four foot tall. He used to be six foot three, but he was four foot tall with a cane. And he's walking behind her going, I'll tell you one thing. You won't tell me what to do. You won't tell me what to do. And, all, and she turns around. She said, what would you say? I ain't said nothing. I ain't said nothing to you. And we think about that idea, do we not? That if I'm a slave, all of the things of my life are gone. I have no identity anymore. I'm just a taskmaster. 
And we hear that word slave, it just drives a thought into our minds that our freedom is gone. Jesus said that if you commit sin, you are a slave to sin, that it is your master, and that it rules you. As a matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 2, we all once walked in this form of darkness, giving in to the the, the one that rules the, the darkness, and I'm just paraphrasing this stuff, but that, that we were under his control, then God comes along. And God delivers us from that. And, 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 and now we were dead, but now we're alive. But yet we live still as slaves, but yet freed slaves. The little story of the, the bird at the house it's so cool. I've told it a bunch of times, I know. But the owner there at the house has this bird in this cage, and it's got this cat, and the owner's getting ready to leave, but before it leaves, it feeds the bird, but it forgets to close the door. The little bird sees the door open and goes, wow, freedom. And the little bird flies. I don't know that birds talk, but the little bird flies out the door, the owner comes back, there's feathers everywhere. Finds the cat perched down in the kitchen looking up at the cabinets. And up there on the edge of the cabinet is a little bird that barely has a feather left. It takes his finger and sticks it up there and the little bird hops on his finger and sticks it back in his cage and the little bird is never so happy to see that door close. <laughs> see, we have this rebellious thing inside of us, folks that we cannot fix. I want you to hear me good when I say this. We have this rebellious thing inside of us that we cannot fix. But see what we do, <laughs> is we fight for autonomy. <coughs> I don't know if that's a word that everybody in the room knows. I'm not saying the only reason I really know it is because of studying Scripture. Autonomy. I really didn't care about words and definitions of words. Spelling was my worst subject. Therefore, vocabulary was a hated thing for me. But autonomy, it, it, and you break the word down, auto means self. That's why when we say automobile, it means self, basically self-propelled. It's self-moving. Mobile, mobile. But autonomy means auto, self, nomos, government. Self-government. And you see, the Jews of that day, that's what was on their mind. They had a form of government in which they governed themselves and they cared less for anything else. They were satisfied. And Jesus comes along and says, your government stinks. Your government, you're going to die in your government. You're going to die in your living uh, apart from the law, thinking that you're living by law, which you are. You're living under a law of sin and death. Uh, well, I say living under. You're living under God's law, whether you like it or not, and that's kind of my whole point. But they were living there in their own form of government. How many of us claim to be Christians, but yet we still fight for autonomy? We still fight for us to have our own government when he says that if you're going to, if you're my disciples, indeed, then you abide in me. And what does it mean to abide in him? It means to give up our government. It get, means to give up our autonomy. We are no longer ours. Is that not what the Bible teaches? We have been bought with a price. He ransomed. He paid the price for us. And so he now owns us. You say, I didn't sign up for all this. Probably didn't. If that's your attitude, you probably didn't. You probably didn't sign up for it. And see, that's the difference right there in the mix. 
if you are my disciples, because just before that he said many Jews believed, but not as many followed him. Not as many were in him as believed. So there is a form of belief that does not go the entirety. And here's what I want you to gather. I want to get one more thing across to you in just a short period of time. As much as you want to think so, you, you didn't do the saving. You didn't do the calling. You didn't do the fixing. Because here's my second thought I want you to think about. What happens when the supposed self-government of man meets the sovereignty of God? And how do these two work together? And by, by no means am I trying to exhaust that in the next 10 to 15 minutes, I promise you. I don't even have the credentials to exhaust it, but I want to take us as far as I can because I want us to have something to chew on. What happens? And, and, and so, uh, oh, wow, I better not do that. I was fixing to call my wife up on, on the platform. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to use a, um, an earthly illustration for a heavenly purpose. How about that? Call a parable. I was a, a movable object when I met her. She was an irresistible force. What happens when an immovable object meets an irresistible force? <laughs> Something's got to give, right? But see what happens with God. God don't give. And we come along with our self-government. And we say, I'm going to govern myself no matter what then how in the world will the salvation of God ever get to this sinful man that won't give? We find out that our freedom is limited and there's no way around it because if not, you can't have a sovereign God and a completely free man at the same time. I do believe I have freedom to make choices. I believe God's sovereign to work around those things. But he did not take Adam and Eve and put them in the garden and say, come here, all these trees, don't touch them. He said, come here. You can eat every tree you want to. Eat of every, not eat every tree, eat of every tree you want to except for one. There is always a limitation that's put on us. Go ahead, do whatever you want to. Make apple pies, make do, because there was apples, got to be, because that's right. Anyhow, you can make pear preserve, do whatever you want to. Just don't you touch this one over here, because in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Here's something hard to grab a hold of, but I want to give it to you, something just to chew on. You cannot choose what you do not want. Your choices are motivated by something. Oh, no, 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 no. Only reason I'm in here this morning is because my wife made me come. Yeah, but you chose to go through that instead of facing her. Right? We make choices, but God's sovereign. Genesis chapter 2, 15 is where you can find, uh, 2, 15 and 17 where you find that. But I want to read something for you. And, and I think I, I want to close like this because there are going to be some unanswered questions. I get that. We'll get, we'll, I'll try to get a little further in the next swipe. It just do us good at this moment to realize that in the midst of all these things, he's working. In Genesis 50, 20, 
you find a brother who speaks after his other brothers fall down before him. Listen to what he says in verse 18. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am I in the place of God. But as for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people. A father has some boys. He makes one of them a coat, a very colorful coat. The other ones get jealous. They take him, throw him in a hole. Just so happens there comes along a caravan of people, and they sell their brother to this caravan of travelers. The caravan of travelers travels on down the road, just so happens that they run up at the auction on a man to uh, on a captain of the guard named Potiphar. Potiphar buys him. Just so happens, once again, Potiphar's got a wife and she's a little twisted. She finds a, this young man kind of delightful, but he won't have no part in it. So he ends up in prison again. And as R.C. Sproul said, he met the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker. Just so happened that the candlestick maker ended up getting out and was standing there with the Pharaoh over Egypt. Joseph had been interpreting dreams down there in that prison. And the candlestick maker tells the Pharaoh, he says, you got that dream you can't get interpreted. He said, I know who can do that. And they bring Joseph out, and the next thing you know, just so happens, that Joseph ends up being over all of Egypt, caretaking it all. And the people of God at that time end up living in a land called Goshen. Just so happens that a new Pharaoh comes in town. They don't know nothing about Joseph. He don't care about Joseph. And he enslaves God's people. And just so happens that as they're in bondage, that a Hebrew woman gets pregnant, has this little boy, but has him kind of a bad time, what you'd think to be a bad time. They're killing all the little boys. So just so happens she makes this little ark out of reeds and pitch. Puts the baby in there and puts the baby out in the stream. Quite an odd thing to do, wouldn't you think? Just so happened the baby cries. Wah. Just so happens Pharaoh's daughter hears that cry. And then it just so happens that that little baby gets raised just like he's Pharaoh's son. He gets all the best treatment and he gets to be educated in the greatest schools in Egypt. Then it just so happens that that young man grows up and he's watching, and he sees a servant of Pharaoh mistreating one of the slaves. And he runs out there, not meaning to, but he kills him. He's going to bury him and let it all be good, but it just so happened, somebody saw him. And the next thing you know, Moses is exiled out into the desert of Midian. It just so happened that God spoke to him from a bush told him to go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And it just so happened that he obeyed God, and he did. One of the greatest stories of deliverance of God's people was formed off of just so happened. It just so happened that God sent a little baby into a virgin's womb. It just so happened that that baby was born and protected through a solid 33 years or so of his life so that he could go and die on a cross to save this, pay for the sins of humanity. All I'm trying to tell you is that if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. Because the 
self-government of man has nowhere to stand against the sovereignty of God. He's in control, folks. He's in control of your life. He's in control of this year. He is in control of every single moment that we'll, we'll have. I'll leave you with one other sovereignty story. And let me, let me throw these out at you just before I do. Do you know that truth frees us from the condemnation of sin's judgment and from the corruption of sinful lifestyle? That's what truth frees us from, the condemnation of sin's judgment and from the corruption of sinful lifestyle. But see, it's our, in our quest for autonomy, it's that that causes us to see others through our eyes and not through his eyes. You see, that's the whole problem with the Pharisees at that moment because when you backtrack to the beginning of chapter 8, what do they do? They bring a woman caught in adultery, laid him at the feet of Jesus. It just so happened he didn't have to have the story told to him. He already knew what was going on. But they can't see her the way Jesus sees her. Why? Because they're self-governing. They're autonomous in their eyes anyhow. And a sovereign God works in their life. Ravi Zacharias told a, a story of his uh, interpreter from when he was a young man. He was living in Canada. He wanted to go help the chaplains in Vietnam during the war. So he went over and they assigned an interpreter with him. I think his name was Hen. The war's over. Ravi's gone on with his life. He gets a phone call. And said, to, and I'm not trying to sound like him, he says, Brother Ravi. He said, Hen, is that you? Yes, he said, you remember my name? He said, you're the only person that says Brother Ravi. He said, man, what are you doing? And I'm paraphrasing, but he said, I'm in California working on my master's. Really, you're in California working on your master's degree? He said, yeah, how did, you, how did that happen? He said, well, after you left... Vietnam fell. He said, and I was taken captive because they thought I was working for the CIA because I was interpreting for you. He said, and in that captivity, I was assigned to clean the latrine. He said, it's the worst latrine you could ever imagine. He said, I put a mask around my face just to be able to stomach it. He said, I was getting ready to dump a wastebasket, and I noticed some English writings on a piece of paper and he said so i grabbed them real quick run over and i washed them off and i stuck them in my pocket and i went on later that night after everybody goes to sleep he said i took that wet piece of paper out and i opened it up he opened it up to romans chapter 8 and these are the first words that he read off the paper all things work together for the good of those who love god Called according to his purpose. What shall separate us from the love of God? Shall height, breadth, depth? And he said, so he went back to the captain and said, can I clean the latrines on a regular basis? So every day he would clean the latrine and there a piece of paper would be and he'd wash it off because the captain or whoever was in control there had got a copy of the Bible and was tearing off pieces out of the Bible to wipe his rear end with it. And he'd throw them in the trash can and he'd wash them off and he did his devotions with those every night. And he said, eventually, he was set free out of that prison. And he and about 40 or 50 others got a plan together that they were going to escape Vietnam. And so they were going to build a boat. And he said, and we did build a boat. He said, a couple of Viet Cong come around, about four of them. And they got all up in his face and they said, you're planning to escape, aren't you? And he said, no. You sure? Because we think you're planning to escape. And he said, no. And they left. And he said, dear Lord, what did I do? I just lied. He said, and then he prayed a prayer that he never thought he would pray. Lord, if you'll send them back, I'll tell them the truth. The next day they came back pinned him up against the wall. You're planning to escape. And he said, yep. He said, you're going to lock me up, ain't you? He said, no, we want to go with you. 
said when they left out, they got into the most horrible storm on the sea that you could ever imagine. It turns out that those four Viet Cong were the most trained mariners in the whole place. And they saw them safely through to the other side. I'm just here to tell you today, folks, the only freedom you'll ever find is in the sovereignty of God. Trust him for all that you have. If you belong to him, daily lay your life down for him. And if you don't belong to him and he's speaking to you, you're a sinner in need of a savior and you need to come to him today. I want you to stand with me for just a moment, if you would. And uh, let's do this. If you would, right where you are, I simply want to extend this invitation to you. If you're lost today, and you're like circling around life and you just don't know where to land, and you really and truly need somebody, you, you need to just lay it down. You need God to take over your life because that's what he's here to do. I could sit up here and say, he's oh, he just wants to be your best friend. He wants to, you know, make life great for you and all these other things. But the truth is this, whether you're watching online or whether you're in here, this is the truth. The truth is that you can't save yourself. And if you don't, if you're not saved, you're going to spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. That forever and ever and ever, it's a place where the worm never dies. It's not going to stop. It is relentless. Separation from God, separation from grace and goodness and all that there is that's lovely. And it's torment forever and ever and ever. You can't save yourself, but there is a God who died on the cross for your sins. He paid the penalty. He stood in your place and paid your payment that you couldn't pay so that you could be free today. And you simply acknowledge the fact that you today are a sinful man coming before a holy God that died on the cross, was buried and rose again. The Bible says, with the, one, with the heart man believes and with the mouth he confesses. And if you confess Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And if you'll do that today, start following him as the Lord of your life. The Bible says that he's going to make you a new creature. He's going to take old things and he's going to make new things in your life. But immediately, the, the, the condemnation of the debt that you owe, it's gone. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So I'm just telling you right now that you come to him. If you're a Christian today and you go, you know what? I have been trying to live my life as I want to. And it's time for me to give up. I want, I want God's best for me. Whatever that means, I'm ready to die to myself, give up my self-government, give up my autonomy, and I want to daily die for him, to, to him. Then mark that down and do it. Today, start living for him. Start studying his words. Start praying. Start talking to him. Start, start getting involved in what God's doing. And God can use you in a mighty way. Uh, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a couple verses. This altar is always open. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the questions of life, the challenges. I do know this. I've been thinking an awful lot about people having to leave loved ones in the hospital lately. Boy, and it just tears. It's wrong. It's wrong. And I know they hurt. And I know there are people who have had folks in their, love, in their life that have died recently and just seems a little more than normal. I don't know if it is or not, but... I do know the statistics at the funeral home are up. I, I don't know what caused, I, I know what causes it, sin. We all die because we live in a sinful world. We're all going to die. But just want you to know that you, you've been through it, you're going through it. We care about you. Father, as we come today, God, we just ask you to, for your glory, God, would you take your word, change our lives for your glory. Help us, God, to give up our form of government. Help us, Lord, to live to Christ every day of our lives, God, so that this world might see the evidence of the life of Christ in, this, in, in us. I don't think you're done doing miracles, God. I really don't. 
I pray, Father, that you'd be with the sick and the hurting today, God. Would your hand reach, God, because it's not, you're not encumbered by a short arm, God. You, you have a long reach, God. Would you please reach into the lives of people that are hurting right now for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. so much that he gave his son for us. Amen. God bless you guys.